Welcome to the podcast that demands ambition, passion, and courage in order to succeed in this mission called life. All you have to do is just pass your limit. Go beyond your restraints by embracing the physical, intellectual, and emotional suck that life will throw at you. I'm your host, Ugo. I do not claim to be the subject matter expert, but I will share my experiences and I'll ask my guests to do the same. The discussions will be guided by honesty and civility. Some episodes will have guests, but most of them will be me and you. No excuses accepted here, people. None. I'm excited to get after it. So without further ado, let's go. This is a poem by Nathaniel Thomas Paine titled Lost Boy. First there was one. He was the center of his father's world. He was the son. Catch in the yard, horse rides to bed. The childhood joys, love is what bred. Then there were two. The first boy still had joy in his life and a brother made new. His father was his hero, a man of music and soul. Chasing a dream to be a musician, his ambition was bold. Little did this father know, with two boys and a wife, his responsibility did grow. Working a nine-to-five, he saw his dreams soon fade, and into depression did he quickly slip away. Drowning in the bottle begun. Whole world changed for this firstborn son. At six years old, responsibility was born. Duty called, and the inner instinct to look after his own had formed. A brother and two cousins were under his care, making PB&Js, getting juice and water, applying band-aids, all he would bear. His hero and grandfather in the other room, there for emergencies, beneath the bottle all often and too soon. Then there were three. A new start desired, we attempted to flee. A young family trying to find its way, traveled across the country in seven long days. Now the first son was accustomed to the task, with two younger brothers he protected and loved. Naive to the sacrifices he made, just thought it his job. The spiral continued and the pain multiplied. Three young boys wondered why their mother so often cried. Little did they know, if not for them she'd have died. A grit and determination only a mother can summon, we moved again with a fourth brother coming. Finally at ten, the eldest knew, time to confront his hero and defend his mother too. He mustered up all his courage and strength, he marched to his father with tears in his eyes. A cry and a plea to leave her alone, never realizing that wrath would change to his son. Divorce soon followed that fateful night, a broken family clinging to life. The oldest son grew into a natural leader, full of grit, guiding his brothers, supporting his mother, unwavering and steadfast through all of it. He was the rock. He had to be. If he wasn't strong for them, then who would be? If you ask him his path, he has no regrets. Proud of the man he became, although he chooses to forget. Because deep down inside, behind the mask of duty and pride, behind the responsibility and sacrifice, behind the honor he hides, a lost boy who misses his hero resides. That's Lost Boy. (sighs) Wow. My guest today is Nathaniel Thomas Payne. Straight into the questions, brother. The part when you talked about confronting your, your father, right? Yep. At that moment, you were trying to defend your mom. Mm-hmm. From that instance, you say the wrath turned to you and you became a protector of your younger brothers, correct? Correct. At what age did that happen? So I was 10. Uh, I, I remember you know, listening to my, my parents argue often in the, in the nighttime and 
Uh, I knew that my dad could get pretty, pretty angry. And so uh, I had had enough. Was he, was he physically abusive? Uh, I'm happy to say to my knowledge, no. Okay. Uh, but very verbally abusive and um, very emotionally abusive. Um, disclaimer, uh, just in case dad's listening. Uh, this was, wow, 23 years ago. Right, right. We change. I mean, yeah. So he, he's actually one of my favorite people today, and, and we've all grown a lot from from that time in our lives. Awesome. But at at that point, it, it was pretty low, and um, I, I had heard enough, and I'll never forget exactly what it looked like coming downstairs and coming around that corner and confronting my dad, and um, you know, with that kind of blurry look he, he kind of gazes across at me and starts staggering towards me and and my mom knew what that look really meant and, and she got between us and, and got me back upstairs uh to bed and and really just deflected my my father from from the course that he was set upon right and and that was really when my mother knew that it was enough i, I think that she felt like as long as she was the only one experiencing it that she would bear that burden for us, for her, for her children. But the moment that it looked like it was going to splash over to, you know, one of her babies, that was when she knew it was, it was time. I can't help but ask, how did that affect you as a man and your relationships? And now being a father, is that something that it's always in the back of your mind that you constantly work at your relationships with people? I mean, did you go through depression? Like, how did that affect you emotionally? That's, that's a really good question. So um, I can say that I was fortunate to witness the best of my father when I was very, very young. Um, but I also was old enough to remember the worst of it. Whereas my younger brothers, they never got that opportunity to see him at his best when they were children. By that point, it was too far gone. Um, so it was hard for me because I had a different perspective and, and then it went sour, whereas they only saw it one way. Um, but going through those experiences, it, it taught me what I knew I would never do. Okay. Um, it, it showed me how I would choose to treat people and, and treat my children if I were ever... Uh, so, so blessed to have any, um, I do have a daughter, uh, she's seven awesome, and, awesome. um, I actually, I think it's very fitting you ask that question. So I, I did write one last short three sentences, three, four sentences to finish lost boy. Um, which I think is fitting. It's now he was grown with a child of his own. She is his entire world. He is her son. She is his beautiful tiny moon. She has bred love again. He is consumed. They play catch in the yard and have horse rides to bed. He will never leave her. Those tears shall not be shed. The lessons he learned from his lifetime before, the father he has become, his moon will adore. That's amazing. Because the thing about that is you change your narrative, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what my podcast is about. Everyone has a story and people go to that dark place, but... How do you build that 
resilience? How do you build that mental toughness? How do you look that dark place in the eyes and overcome, right? When it comes down to it, we have to make that decision, you know, and a decision has to be made to go the right way or to go down a terrible path. I'm envisioning a young man in an environment where the parents were not really working together as a team. Mm-hmm. You had that burden of being the big brother, so you had to protect your siblings as well. Yep. Then you go through the whole process of a divorce. I've been through a divorce. It's, you, oh my goodness, it's tough. And then we transition to you joining the military. How did that happen? How did you go from that young boy, the protector, um, to try to now joining the military and trying to better yourself and be part of something bigger than yourself? So the the way that I I found myself uh, in the world's finest navy. Who ya? Who ya? Guess so. So I graduated high school when I was seventeen. Um, I, I would say that I'm your typical underachiever. Uh, I had a lot of uh, potential that was not realized, uh, just due to discipline, life distractions. Um, you know, I had a lot going on. Okay. And and I don't think that I was able to really fully apply myself. So um, college options weren't really uh, lining up for me. Um, I took about a year and a half off and, and just really enjoyed life, working week to week jobs and, and you know, doing the, the fun things kids do. Right. Um, but when I was about 19, uh, I had a lot of friends who were in their mid to late 20s and they were doing the bar scene and, you know, partying every weekend. And, and I enjoyed it for about a year-ish or so, but I, I realized I needed more than that. And uh, I was just trying to figure out what the best way to, and I hate to use the, the cliche catchphrase, but really accelerate my life. Um, Did you think about college or? Well, the reason I didn't want to pursue college was because I still at that point had no idea what I wanted to do. Okay. And I I refused to put myself into substantial college debt um, without having any path or direction or passion of which I was trying to follow. What was your, what was your support system? Like, I mean, in terms of advice, who was helping you make your decisions at that age? Uh, (laughs) me. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, pretty much. Then you decide to, to take that step and join the Navy? Yep. I, I figured, you know, four years in the Navy, uh, I'll make some money, I'll get some work experience, and if nothing else, I get the GI Bill. Right. And, and hopefully I can figure out what I really want to do with my life. And then by the time I, you know, get out, I can go to school and pursue that. So that, that was kind of what stepped my, my feet into that, that path and, and going down to boot camp and joining the Navy. Okay, so with that, let's let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, let's break the audience's sea legs in, right? Okay, describe how our first um, conversation went the first time we met. You can go ahead and if you, do you remember? Uh, was it when we were standing watch together? Yeah, standing watch. Harry okay. S. Truman. <laughs> yep, I remember that. So, um, I'll I'll do like a real quick synopsis of of my Navy time just to catch up to that moment. Okay. Um. So, joined as a uh, nuke, 
Submariner uh, nuclear propulsion contract. Smart, uh, smart guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I had some financial debt okay. from before joining the Navy that I didn't declare on my paperwork. So when they ran my background check for security clearance, right. um, I was no longer eligible. So in boot camp, I actually had to sit down with somebody and pick a different rate. And so the reason that I picked Nuke in the first place is even though I was using the Navy as a time to just kind of get ahead and and get some college and experience, um, I still wanted to challenge myself because I had a lot of friends that did go to school and had a full ride or had their parents that could pay for it. And I felt like if I could have gone to a college away from my home environment where my only job was to go to school and get good grades, I could have been successful. I would have been successful. Right. And because I didn't have that opportunity, choosing the Navy, I was choosing my opportunity and I wasn't going to let it pass me by. So I was determined to either be a Navy SEAL or go nuke because I felt like those two paths were the most challenging um, areas that you can either go through physically and mentally or academically. Um, And so I I went the nuke route because I really don't like cold water. I didn't want (laughs) to set myself up for failure. Right. And, um, you know, then I get told in boot camp, I got to pick something else. And so could you have, I, could you have picked up a buzz contract at that point? Uh, I don't think so because, um, my, my security clearance at this point is questionable. Oh, that's exa- exact, <laughs> right, right, right. That's a good point. Right. But, um, I, I pretty much sat down with the, the, the rep and I told him, okay, well, give me the most technically challenging job that is available. And they were like, okay, you're going to Pensacola and you're going to be a, an aviation electronics technician, an AT. And I'm like, okay, great. So I get to Pensacola and I was an E3 because I joined as a nuke. I got paid as an E3 for about four or five months. And then for, for, the Na- for, what, one second, Nate, for our audience that don't understand what an E3 is, what, what's an E3 in the Navy? Uh, E3 is a, a pay grade, essentially. So the enlisted pay scale is E1 through E9. Uh, E1 to E3 is uh, pretty junior. E4 through E6 is about mid-management. And E7 and above is, you know, your, your senior enlisted management. Roger that. So uh, I got paid as an E3 uh, for about four or five months. And then they said, you know what? You, you're not a nuke anymore, so you're, you really should have been an E1. And so they, they changed me back to an E1 and oh take God. away and take away the difference of E1 to E3 pay that I'd been getting for four or five months. Wow. Um, so, so here I am trying to make right on my debts, pay my bills. I can only afford to pay the minimums uh, on everything. And I'm, I'm pretty much an E.7, as I like to think of it. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I wasn't 21, so I'm, I'm in Pensacola. I'm not, I can't drink. Uh, I, I have no money. I'm as broke as broke can be. And I find out that they have this program where if you graduate top of your class, you get meritoriously promoted to E3 and then uh, E4 or petty officer uh, immediately following that. So um, I, I just dedicated myself and, and grinded it out. And that was my goal. And, and I wanted to get that, that rank back. So awesome. um, that's what I did. And it set me up to where I was able to take the uh, E5 or second class petty officer exam and I promoted to E5 in less than two years total time in service. Wow. Um, so, so you had that drive. That's what I'm hearing. And that drive was pushing you through all the adversity up to that point. Yes. Okay. Um, 
and then so uh, e e five in less than two years. Uh, I meet my my wife uh, at the time. Uh, went through a deployment on the the Theodore Roosevelt uh, CVN seventy one, and then I get shipped off to Japan. We moved to Japan for three years. Uh, my daughter was born there. Uh, I made first class E six in less than five years total time. Wow. And then, um, you know, and then it's 2013, May, we're coming back to the States. Uh, we got a one and a half year old little girl and, and life uh, is great. You're living the, your best life at this point. Yeah. Right? Life, life is good. I'm a, I'm a first class. I I'm up for chief one time now. Uh, you know, I'm only around my eight year mark and, and life is good. And then what, ha- then what happens? So what happens is I spend the next 11, I spend 11 of the next 12 months away from my family. Um, because when I came back, I had a month, the month of May of 2013 to move my family into the, the house that we had, uh, that we had bought. And then after that, I went to school, TAD, uh, temporary assigned duty, uh, for two and a half months away out of state. Um, came back for a week, and then the ship that I was checking on board, the mighty USS Harry S. Truman. Harry on, S. Truman, who ya? Yep, was was on deployment. Okay. And so they fly me out to that deployment. That was the 13-14 cruise. Um, and, and lo and behold, six months after checking on board that ship, uh, I was in a situation where uh, I had two junior sailors in my work center and one of them got hurt in some horseplay, and I didn't report it the right way. And so I got in trouble for that. I went to Captain's Mass, NJP. Uh, I did 45, 45 days restriction and extra duty. They took half months pay times two. Wow. Uh, two months. That's like almost $6,000. Uh, so, you know, I go from being a, a first class. A stellar sailor, and you just yeah. get the, the hammer dropped on you. Pretty much. Um, and, and it was hard too, because, you know, my, my wife at the time, she felt like she sacrificed a lot to support my career when I, when we were in Japan together, right. um, you know, I worked a lot of late hours on shore duty. Did she, did she blame you for everything that happened or was she defending and supporting you? I, I would say, I, I don't think I felt like I had the support. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know. That, that was the, the situation at the time. And so, you know, she was really bitter about that. Um, and then B- Bitter be- at who? At you? Yes. Okay. For, for getting in trouble and, and really just setting my career back. You know, you know, they say if you get an NJP, it's, it's another five years before you can really look at promoting. Right. Um, so we, we come back from that deployment in April of 14, and uh, I got sent to the mess decks which is uh, a part of the ship where everybody has to spend some time at, at some point or another um, for, for helping to, to serve the food and everything. Right. And so I was there for six months in a manager position, but for most of the time I worked nights. So I'm coming off of you know a nine-month deployment, and now I'm working nights during the summer when I should be rebuilding that time with my family. Exactly. And so cumulatively... It was a really difficult situation, and uh, around the turn of the year, end of 2014, beginning of 2015, uh, my wife told me that she didn't want to be married anymore. Wow. So, 
Um, we met, right? I'm, that's what we're getting to. We met on watch in 2015 uh, when we were in the shipyards for uh, a little bit of a, a maintenance overhaul. Right. And I will never forget. We had good conversation, but most of the time I would stand there and I was I was quiet. I had so much going through my head that day. I remember. Wow. And I had no clue what you were going through. Yeah. How did you mask all the pressure? I mean, because like you stood there and you helped me because, I mean, I had just gotten to the ship. I was still trying to understand what starboard meant and port side of the ship was. And you, in essence, tried to mentor me and you went out of your way to make sure I was good to go. But... Beneath all of that, you had a lot of things to deal with. Wow. So with that, that leads me to the next question. What's the most uncomfortable thing that you've ever done? And how did you overcome it? So uh, I think that the, the best way to answer that, and, and I'm glad that we've been able to get some of this context already out there. Uh, the most uncomfortable thing for me is to be in a position that you don't want to be in when the only direction you can move is a direction you don't want to go. Mm. And, and the way I can describe that is the beginning of 2015, January 2015, when, when my wife said she didn't want to be married anymore, um, she, she also didn't want to do the things that are necessary to get divorced. Okay, so that's a it's a conundrum kind so, of. So <laughs> what it is, and 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 I didn't want to get divorced. Okay, I wanted to I wanted to work it out. I wanted to go to counseling. I wanted to be a better person, improve myself. Right. I mean, we we both fell short. Um, you know, it's it's not one sided. We we both made our mistakes and could have done better, as is the case in in most relationships. Exactly. And so I, I was in a position where. It was so painful to just remain in a state of limbo, but the only alternative was to take a step towards me being the initiator of getting divorced. Why didn't your ex-wife want to file for a divorce? Why didn't she file the paperwork if she was one that asked for the divorce? That's the thing. She didn't ask for the divorce. She simply said, I... I can't imagine being with you. Oh, wow. And, and really what it came down to is she was unsure. She just didn't know what she wanted. She was in a really difficult position and, and was trying to figure it out. She, she had a new group of friends that weren't really influencing her uh, in the best of ways. And, and then we have a, a looming deployment in November of 15. So I look at it as I, I got about 10, 11 months to either we're going to work this out or we're not because once I leave to go on deployment the chances of it getting worked out pretty much sail away wow so then did you finalize the divorce before the deployment then we we had a separation agreement in place um but you know I'm the one that that did it all I initiated everything so that that would be your darkest place right the most uncomfortable place you've the, been the most uncomfortable it's it's so um, the inspiration for Atlas, uh, you know, Atlas, the uh, mythological 
um, you know, man who holds the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, you know, I, I came to this idea that I, I kind of grew in my mind of, you know, a, a big anchor chain wrapped around the world. And, you know, Atlas is on this path to the sun and his course cannot waver. The load is unbearable and, you know, it's, it's weighing him down and, and to stay there is pain. But to step forward is a path one step closer to the destruction of everything that he loves. Wow. And so, um, you know, really for that entire 10, 11 months, I would stay in that place of discomfort and emotional trauma and torment as long as I could. And then when I couldn't take it anymore, I would take one step towards the next step, which is maybe call a lawyer. Or, you know, maybe drafting the paperwork or trying to have, you know, a conversation about, you know, who's going to get what. But, but I would wait as long as possible in between each of those steps until I couldn't take it. And then, and then I would take another step. And I, I likened it to Atlas on a, almost like a, like a death march into the sun, dragging the, the world behind him uh, tied to an anchor chain. Wow, that's... <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, brother. How did the whole relationship with your daughter get affected while you were thinking about this whole divorce and initiating it? Did you ever think about how your fatherhood aspect would be affected and how your relationship could possibly be affected? Absolutely. Um, so during the time that we were going through separation, uh, I did not drink at all. Um, and the, the biggest thing that was in my mind was continue to be a good dad for my daughter and don't do anything that could potentially jeopardize any future relationship with her. Um, don't, don't give my, you know, soon to be ex-wife any ammunition or any reason to, um, you know, withhold or limit, uh, my relationship with my daughter. Um, because I had a lot of anger. I, I had a lot of, uh, you know, very uh, painful, raging emotions going on, um, you know, especially when I knew she was seeing someone else and I knew who this person was. I just couldn't prove it. And I went through a lot of different phases of, you know, at one point I was going to consider contacting his command. I was going to make a huge deal about it. But at the end of the day, it's not going to bring her back to me. It's not going to change right. anything. It's not going to change how she feels about our situation. And if anything, it's only going to make it worse. So, right. Um, with that, so so. Oh, go ahead. So let, let 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 me ask you this though. So you mentioned drinking, right? And if we go back to Lost Boy, we talk about that continuum of harm that started with your dad drinking and escalated to you having to intervene, and then your mom leaving that relationship, right? Right. At this point. I have to ask you right now, brother, to share Atlas Crush with us. Yes. Because I know that's the dark place, right? It is. It is the dark place. Let's get after it. All right. So at Atlas Crush, I love her. I carry her. She is the weight I choose to bear. I protect her. I provide for her. She is the heart I choose to share. Along my path, I fell in the dark. A faltered step, I fell apart. I tried to carry her to be the support she'd need. With a damning flaw, I could not succeed. 
As the load slid off my rounded back, a chain emerged that gave no slack. I tugged and pulled with all my might. The only progress was towards the light. I'd straighten tall and flex my breath with a dying love, praying she'd retake her birth. With a dying hope, I could not stand. To keep moving on was her demand. On I marched to the light that's true, the fiery sun, a rebirth made new. A hope in my eyes, a hope in my heart, that the fires would yield a new fresh start. I did not know, I did not understand. The land I supported desired a new tending hand. I marched on like a good soldier true. I had no other course but the fires to make new. I grabbed my chain, pulling on my shame. The weight of the world, I was her fool's game. Not wanting to move, but nowhere else to go. I tried and I cried to let her trust me so. To let me carry her again. To let me share her heart. To care and protect her. To provide for her heart. The sun, the sun, the sun is where to go. We are no more. You must burn to let me go. So I marched and I cried. And inside I died. Into the sun I struggled and pulled. This chain, this weight, this shame unfolds. I enter the sun and the chain burns away. I fear I am lost, but I continue to stay. I look back at my world and wish my end to be soon, and then I see a beautiful tiny moon. She is a part of me and a part of her, shimmering in the light of this fiery star. She is worth the fight and worth the burn. I claw and I struggle to make the return. This moon needs me to have and to hold. I will support her. I will not fold. I will love her and protect her heart. I will be her atlas. She will be my new fresh start. I just have to thank you for what you're sharing on this podcast, this episode. It's, and I know we're not even unpacking half of what we need to unpack here. And I just don't want you to feel like I'm rushing you through things. No, not at all. But that, this, this, is, this is amazing stuff. Going back to the alcohol, brother. What rank did you end up making? Because you talked about the NJP. Did you get a chance to make E7? So, I, I did. Phenomenal. I was the... AIMD Departmental uh, Aviation Intermediate Maintenance Department, uh, 2016 Sailor of the Year. Guess so. Okay. Talk to me now. Yeah. Um, so they, they called me the Triple Unicorn because I was selected for and promoted to chief with an NJP within five years on my record. Which is rare. Because I went to NJP and was selected for chief at the same command in the same tour. Wow. And I, I did not submit a package or anything to consider for my record review. Um, I didn't submit anything at all to the board. Um, I just let it speak for itself. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, I've started writing. Uh, I've been writing a lot now. I've been diving, cooking, uh, you know, a lot of passions, a lot of travel. And uh, just really living life. This is a great story. And I just wanted the world to hear it because you've been in dark places, really dark places that could have ended everything. And you, you decided to, to take that extra step and overcome and face challenges face to face and just overcome that adversity. And I commend you, brother. I really do. And I at this point need to ask you about the book and the writing. Absolutely. Um, I, I have uh, Atlas Crushed. At the end here, I'm going to share Atlas Reborn. Uh, soon to come is Atlas Arrived. And then there's also Lost Boy. 
and then the sequel to that is going to be Lost Boy Found. And, and then I probably have about, I don't know, maybe 20 or so other pieces that I've written. And the, the title of the book is going to be Atlas Walks. And it's going to be a collection of poems, prose, and short stories about life, love, and growth. Um, you know, it's in the process. It's, it's still in work. Uh, a couple of these pieces are, are definitely key components to it. Um, you know, Atlas Crush was my lowest point. Atlas Reborn is, is really, you know, coming back to life from that death. And then uh, Atlas Arrived is, is really in work right now. And, and that's going to be a story about self-actualization and, and really um, not only just reaching but exceeding your limits. Get so. Now you're talking my language. You have to pass those limits and those restraints, right? Yep. Because some people intellectually just put those restraints on themselves, thinking they're constraints. And they're not. So they just have to apply themselves and just get after it. And that's what you did in your story. And I really commend you, brother. And I know a lot of people listening right now will take different facets of what you've said today and apply it to their lives. And you made people better today. And I just want to thank you for coming on. Man, where are you right now emotionally, brother? Are you strong? Oh, I'm strong. I guess so. I like it. So when do you think you'll be done with that book? Hmm. That, that's hard uh, because the, the way that I write is, is raw. It's uncut, unbridled, and 99% of the time, it's a, a first, first draft and release. Um, so, you know, what it is that I'm writing, it's, it's coming from the heart. It's coming from, from the depths of my soul. It's deep. And I can't, I can't fake that. Don't worry. Yeah. So don't, don't edit it too much. I know we live in this PG society right now where, I mean, you could tell somebody you don't like to smell their lotion and they get offended. <laughs> bro, we, bro, we come from a place where they don't like it. Okay. Get in line. You don't like me. Get in line with a 10 million people that have, have a reason to, to, to be upset with me. And we'll get to it later. But right now, focus on the mission. And the mission is getting your story out. Write that book. And, brother, it's, it's, it needs to be shared, right? Right. My, my goal is the end of the year. See, you got me so motivated. I, just, I can't wait to hear the end of the story and how, how, how the man that started from a dicey situation ends up a solid individual past his limit. And it's getting some every single day. Daily victories, brother. So let's hear Atlas Reborn and take it away, brother. All right, Atlas Reborn. I think you'll hear something in here that passes some limits. So get so. Stand by. I am Atlas. I am strong. I cannot be shaken. I will not be undone. Crushed beneath the weight of shame, my own undoing, myself to blame. I grind and strive to make my way, to forge a path, I kneel to pray. Drifting across the space so deep, forgiveness of self is what I seek. Carrying my moon, protecting her heart, I am her atlas, she never will I part. Through hardship and struggle, I've clawed to regain the identity I lost when she stripped me in shame. Whipped, scarred, flesh torn and bleeding, she did her best, I'm here still breathing. Through a burning hell, I emerge, the fires of heartbreak, my form is reforged. Stronger than before, stronger than I knew, a pool of resilience deep within did brew. I am here, I am Atlas, I am remade, I am no longer torn. After three long years, I will no longer mourn. 
I am healed. I am free. I've forgiven myself. I can finally see. It wasn't my fault, just not meant to be. This life, this promise, so fragile, so frail. My daughter, my moon, for her I prevail. She is my life, a shining new purpose. Her atlas is my calling. For her, I will be worth it. I will love again, a new Venus to support. I've lost again already, but stronger is my heart. For I am Atlas, unbreakable, true. Wiser for the years, a life to start new. A journey through vindictive scorn. I am Atlas, I am reborn.